ग्रंथरा श्रीमद् भागवतम की जाए और भक्त बिंद so good evening, everyone again, and um, tonight we continue our discussion of the Chatur <coughs> Sloki of Srimad Bhagavatam, <clears throat> four essential verses of the text. And tonight we come to the third verse <clears throat> of the four. Sri Krishna says to Brahma, Yata mahanti bhutani bhuteshu shabanesh vanu pravishtani apravishtani tatateshu nuteshvaham. Says, O Brahma, please know that the universal elements enter into the cosmos and at the same time do not enter into the cosmos. Similarly, I myself also exist within everything created, and at the same time, I'm outside of everything. So, we might ask, what's this verse about? <clears throat> and it's supposed to bring that kind of question to mind. It appears ostensibly to be about one thing, perhaps, but arguably, from the point of view of our predecessor, Acharyas, it uh, has a hidden meaning. And the hidden meaning is really the only logical, actual, intended meaning of the verse, and it's hidden for a reason. As we know, these uh, four verses are prefaced by two, and the first of those two gives a summary of what the four verses will consist of. And it does so, among other things, by way of four words, Jnanam Vigyanam Rahasyam Tarangam. So the response to Brahma's questions that constitutes these four verses cover these four topics Jnanam, Vigyanam, Rahasyam, and Tadangam. Jnanam we explain in relation to the first of Krishna's verses, Vigyanam the second. Now we're on the third. The subject is Rahasyam. Just to reiterate, uh, remind everyone, Jnanam means knowledge, Jnanam Paramaguyame. Hmm? This is the kind of knowledge that is uh, concomitant to bhakti. Hmm? So oftentimes we contrast bhakti with the, the path of bhakti with the path of knowledge, but bhakti has its own knowledge. As I often say, when you love, you know what to do. Hmm? So, love is not uh, without knowing. Hmm? But uh, specifically, there's a kind of knowledge we call sambandha gyan. Gyan means knowledge. Sambandha means relationship. The way, in one sense, it means that the, the, the sense in which things are related to one another. Hmm? And, of course, it's a very unique way because everything is one. <laughs> but... There are, nonetheless, many things that are one, <laughs> and so they're related, so to speak, to one another. So, vijnanam and vijnanam. Vijnanam means v means special in a sense, so a special kind of knowledge. And I explain it as visheshgyan or knowledge of differentiation. So the first was the knowledge of, of Bhagwan and how he, the world is a person, and it's Krishna. Hmm? 
I gave the example of the uh, the, the, the Lovejoy's uh, Gaia concept. The world is an organism. We're a cell on that, something like that, the earth. So to expand this concept, existence is a person. It's just not us. <laughs> we're a cell, so to speak, in that... Uh, in the person we're to be more specific we're we're constituted of a shakti or we're an amsa a fraction if you will um, of that uh, person apart and to use Prabhupada's language in a parcel hmm? so uh, this is jnanam paramaguyam Krishna says this is very confidential knowledge the world is a person and its name is Krishna, and so we're all part of that. Uh, and then the, and there's so many implications of that. Then uh, the nature of his his form, it's all pervasive nature, and it's localized nature appearing before a devotee, medium size. Although he's bigger than the biggest and small, the smallest is all a great part of the great mystery of bhakti, of course. Um, you know, in a realm where where impossible does not uh, not found in the dictionary, mm-hmm. um, and for good reason. Uh, so this is Gyanam and then Vigyanam. Vigyanam, we explained to mean how this one is is has differentiation at the same time. How by his shaktis, there's a to say, being exists is a, a what would you call it a um, tautology, hmm? but nonetheless it does. <laughs> There's a power by which it exists, something like that, and it makes itself known and so forth. So, this is the idea of Bhagwan and Shakti. The Shaktis are are not different from him, but but different at the same time. Um, this, uh, this is my hand. Or I could say, this is my body. Hmm? Both are true. It's different ways of looking at it. Hmm? It's my hand by which I do so many things, and it's also my body. Hmm? So, Krishna has different shaktis by which he accomplishes different things. And we can talk about them as such, um, whereby there's some differentiation, but there's a unity. The, the hand is not independent of the body. If it doesn't feed the body, it won't exist. So the shaktis of, of Bhagavan are dependent upon upon him, and in that sense, one with him. And they are the means by which many tasks are accomplished. So that is Vigyanam special kind of knowledge, or visheshkyan, uh, differentiation, knowledge of differentiation, or this diversity that does not compromise the unity of Bhagwan. Hmm? There's another kind of illusory diversity that, it, that does appear to, comp- to compromise this and its sense of unity that we feel is at the heart of real being. Hmm? That illusory difference, that has to be done away with. Hmm? Um, but if we do away with the illusory difference at the cost of difference altogether, 
then something very valuable is lost in that. And what is that? Love. Hmm? Because and that's the subject of tonight's discourse. And, 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 and love is, of course, a rahasyam. So that's the third word. Jnanam, vigyanam, rahasyam, tadangam. We're on the third now. Rahasyam. Rahasyam means prem. Prem means love. That is the subject tonight. And prem requires two. And it requires that the two are one. <laughs> I often say that the you and I be, fall in love, we become, well, we. We is not at the loss of you and I, but the separation and the difference of you and I is bridged in love in a way that's not at the cost of our own in individuality, which is required for love, and as much as love constitutes reciprocal dealings, I would say that on a scale, uh, if we were to evaluate love, the, the measure to which there is reciprocation hmm, between two parties, this constitutes love, and it gets to the point or reaches the the pitch or the the, the, the step of the ladder or the, the, the scale where that that there doesn't appear to be a difference, hmm? but it's not that we've disappeared uh, and, and there is no, no, no interaction, no reciprocal dealings and so forth. Hmm? So, we'll come back to that perhaps, but this is quite mysterious love itself is, as we experience it even materially in a limited way in relation to objects that don't have the capacity to reciprocate, but we think they do, and we're really only reciprocating with our, ourselves, in a sense. Um, uh, even materially speaking, anyway, it's, it's quite, quite a mystery. So, the word rahasyam is used. It's used in the Gita. Hmm? The first time that Krishna uh, invokes the word bhakti, he does it um, in conjunction with the word rahasyam. Rahasyad hi etat uttamam. He tells Arjuna in the fourth chapter. The bhakti is really dis- discussed directly and in depth in the middle six chapters, beginning from seven, ending with chapter 12. This is the theological section of the Gita. Hmm? But early on in the fourth chapter of the Gita, as an aside to what he's teaching there in Krishna speaks about avatar tattva, the idea of the, the manifestation of the of, of the Godhead within time and space, hmm? who is beyond time and space, within time and space. This is avatar tattva. It's an interesting topic. As an aside, he, he, he speaks about that. And in the context of that, well, he when he's speaking about avatar tattva, he's really speaking about himself. Those are his descents, his emotional moments. I like to compare them to the, 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 the ocean of the absolute. There are waves of emotional experience, just like we have, that they're different. They become personified. Hmm? Imagine if your every feeling had a, you know, became a person, <laughs> an aspect of you. Could get ugly. <laughs> so, but anyway, it's something like this. Hmm? And so he's talking about himself in a way 
that is very relative to bhakti, although uh, the subject of bhakti per se has not really come up yet. The subject of, this, of the fourth chapter is, is actually uh, jnana yoga, yoga of knowledge. Hmm? But uh, in speaking to Krishna about it, he, 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 to Arjuna about it, he, he wants to first awaken some faith in him, so he speaks about the, the nature of uh, the, 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 uh, the long history of this teaching about jnana yoga and so forth, because if it has a history, a long-standing tradition it is, it has some more credibility He's not making it up as he goes along. So he wants to instill faith in Arjuna. He starts to speak about it like that. And, and he speaks about how I spoke this a long time ago. I have had many, many appearances in the world as of you. The difference is I remember them and you don't. And so he goes, segues slightly into Avatar Tattva. And so it's a good opportunity to say something about bhakti. It fits. Although he doesn't elaborate in any, in any depth. But uh, he, he says to Arjuna, Bhaktosi me utamam. So I'm going to tell you this secret because bhakto, bhaktosi me because you are my, my bhakta, my devotee, and my friend, I'm going to speak to you about this secret. Ultimately, the subject is jnana yoga and tetra, but ultimately he's speaking about bhakti. So bhakti rahasya, bhakti is a great um, mystery. We can say that the truth about the self and the fact that it's there is a self that's different from matter constituted of consciousness it's not reducible to matter we can say that that's a mystery and it is compared to ordinary uh, knowledge uh, of the world and so forth of things but that knowledge, in comparison to bhakti, is very, uh, I want to say, simplistic. Bhakti is, is very, very uh, complex. Uh, again, we move away from individuality, the illusory individuality derived from the mind and the senses. We come to a sense that there's an underlying unity called consciousness that we're all constituted of. It's not that hard to get there. Hmm? Um, but then to say, then uh, over there, there's individuality and there's differences and there's shapes, and it starts to become a little more complex. So it's very much a rahasya, a mystery. But the mystery that it is, nonetheless, is something that our experience very much talks to us about here in the, in the here and the now. Hmm? So we haven't got to exercise a lot of faith or blind faith, um, but rather uh, to extend logically, if you will, the um, nature of our present uh, experience. And we were talking about this a little bit uh, at lunch as well. Mm -hmm. So... What I mean by that is that what we actually experience, sometimes we say yeah, we experience something, but it may be relative to what we've heard more than what we actually experience. Hmm? 
and we haven't thought too deeply to sort all that out, nor we've heard a certain way and it resonates with us, so we, we think that's our experience. But I think it's fair to say, and you, you, you tell me if I'm wrong, that our experience universally amongst human beings is that, well, first of all, that we exist. There's a story going around that at one time we didn't exist, and at some point we won't exist. But our own experience is not that. We don't have any experience of not existing, which makes no sense to begin with. Hmm? How could we experience not existing? Hmm? We have no such experience that we have not existed. We have no experience that we will not exist. Our experience is that we are. We exist. Hmm? And we also experience readily that that there's somebody inside here called me. Hmm? We kind of think it's kind of in our head somewhere. Hmm? And that there is and there's these conscious thoughts and decisions that we make, hmm? and they inform our actions. Hmm? So our intuitive experience, the way we experience life is that there's something called consciousness, and it informs action. That means that it's causal. Hmm? Consciousness causes. I, I, I make a conscious thought, I'm going to do this, and then my body is caused to carry out those those uh, those thoughts. That's our everyday experience. People lead their lives like that. No matter how they philosophize otherwise or think otherwise, reason otherwise on the basis of data that might seem to contradict that, hmm? might, I say, hmm? they continue nonetheless to act in this way. So this is over, overwhelmingly the experience of human society and the way in which human society conducts itself. There's a famous, uh, I think she's a psychologist who very much likes to dabble in, uh, I, I, would, I would be actually um, incorrect to say dabble, but is preoccupied with the subject of consciousness. Susan Blackmore has a number of books, uh, and, uh, and in, in one of her books she made a statement, I've cited this before, uh, forgive me if you've heard it, but she said that uh, 90% of the people um, live their lives as if dualism is a reality. We're speaking about a kind of dualism, that there's a difference between my conscious thoughts and my body, and the former informs the, the latter. Hmm? And she would be one of the 10% in her view who didn't entertain that kind of thought. She didn't think, doesn't think there's any difference between the brain and consciousness. The brain is very um, stretchable, I guess, and the idea is that it's an ex there's an expanded brain experience that people think is enlightenment or whatever. But, but at any rate, she says she's one of the 10% that is thought it out well enough, in her opinion, and, and there is no dualism. There's no difference between consciousness and, and, and brain. Hmm? But my reply is that, Susan, 100% of the people are dualists because actions speak louder than words. You may say hmm, that you're convinced 
there's nobody there, <laughs> huh? really. It's just a bundle of mm, neurons and, and so forth, and that they're not causal, hmm? Hmm? Um, or any number of similar philosophical ideas and whatnot. But we all act very differently. Hmm? We all, and so actions speak louder than words. Hmm? That won't satisfy her, but but the point I'm making is that intuitively, the way in which we experience life, if we want to base our beliefs on experience, hmm? well, what if data? contradicts our experience. Hmm? That's possible. Hmm? Of course, there is no conclusive data to contradict this experience. There is some data that lends support to it. There is some data that can be reasoned about so as to appear not to lend support to it. But it's inconclusive. Intuitively, we lean in this way. Hmm? And the meditative experience of samadhi also gives support to this. The meditative experience of samadhi is that that I exist and I don't die and that my brain will. There will be a biological death of the body and, 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 and brain, but I won't. That's the meditative experience of samadhi. One may say, well, he's in samadhi and he projects all these metaphysical ideas and so forth that we don't know if it's true or not. That's true. You don't, but go. To, but you haven't gone into samadhi either, so it's, you might want to try that before you make a judgment on it um, and just fasten all types of things to his brain and determine that it's something else. We can find many correlations between brain and consciousness, but correlation, as we know, and causation are two different things altogether. And it's a given in the yoga world or in the, in the, in the Vedanta world that there will be a correlation between brain and... or brain and, and, and consciousness. That's a given. I mean, that's that's like, of course. <laughs> we expected that. Hmm? According to the kind of brain you have and the kind of body you have, consciousness will be manifest to one degree or another. In the human body, and the human brain, consciousness is manifest to a greater degree than it is, for example, in the, in, in the animal body. And it starts to reason about itself. and it has a brain that that facilitates that kind of thing. And there's a reason for that. Hmm? Um, so we, we that, that's a given for us. But again, correlation does not constitute causation. And causation, the, the cause experience is that consciousness causes is it, 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 causal. So, and the meditative experience supports that. Hmm? So, at any rate, our experiences that we exist. We have no experience that we don't have, didn't exist. We have no experience that we won't exist. There's a story that we won't. And people say, just see, he was here, now he's gone. But still, it doesn't always, it doesn't phase us that much. We think, I might not be here, but then we live as if we're here. <laughs> and we are. <laughs> and uh, there's a story that you weren't here. There's no pictures of you, you know, before this date. This is the day you came and so forth. But it's not our experience. That we didn't exist at some point. So, experience leads us to believe that we always existed. 
we always will exist. Um, and our experience is also individual. We, we, we experience that we exist as an individual. Now we can look at that in conjunction with the meditative experience and say that there's an, in, there's, there's an individuality here that's false. You, have, you're an, you experience that you're an individual, but the, the experience is... There's a, there's a false sense of individuality that's derived from perceptions where you think it's hot and I think it's cold. You think it's good, I think it's bad. And this is relative to perceptions that are derived from the senses in the mind. Hmm? And neither one is actually true. So there's an illusory difference here, and that difference pertains and defines your individuality. My individuality is it's hot. Your individuality is that it's cold. Hmm? And so on and so forth. So we may be led to believe that, and for good reason, this individuality is is illusory. Hmm? But that I exist, that I have experience of, that and that I that that I identify with with experience rather than with dead matter as myself, hmm? and and so perhaps ultimately I am that consciousness that's somehow all pervasive, hmm? underlying everything that all of the appearances of the world. Hmm? Okay, that's pretty good reasoning, I think. Hmm? But there's one thing we ought to add to that, that in our experience of being a conscious entity, hmm, we find that not only do we exist, we know that we exist, we exist, but we know that we exist. So there's an existential component to us, we exist, there's a cognitive component to us. We know. And there's another component to us. We love. And we exist and we know or we seek to know so that we can love. That's actually our experience. Hmm? With it, we exist. We know that we, that we exist and we would like to know how to love. <laughs> that's, what we, that's what we pursue. Hmm? So there's a problem if, in doing away with the illusory difference that arises from the mind and the body, as we should, hmm, that compromises unity and so forth, hmm, if in doing that we end up with knowing that we exist without any prospect for loving, hmm, without any individuality, hmm, when we, 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 we have bought into something that does away with something that's very central to what we experience as the nature of our being, our existence. We're a unit of loving capacity. Therefore, the idea comes to mind that there must be some type of nuance to the nature of consciousness that affords the possibility of reciprocal dealings, so to speak, on the other side, if you will. Hmm? Not the reciprocal dealings that are illusory in relation to things that are here today and gone tomorrow and uh, 
and, and so on and so forth. Hmm? But on the other side, in relation to what I refer to as a significant consciousness other. So that other, that is the idea of, of Krishna, that the world is a person and we are part. So, so there's our experience leads us to believe that arguably that we're uh, we are in an, we are in a unit of consciousness we are an individual ultimately so there's a lower self that's illusory and a lot of meditative traditions of course focus on that and rightfully so let's do away with this false individuality hmm? and they attack it from all sides how it's a product of mind and senses and so forth um, and, and, and in the scientific community, there's an effort to do that as well. And, we, 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 and while they think they're retiring the religious idea, we're, we're saying, good work. You're doing good work, retiring that false self. It's just a bundle of experiences. There's nobody there. That, that, that ahankar, it's, ahankar means false ego. It means, literally, means, literally, it means eye maker. Eye maker. There's something we do that makes an eye. Hmm? But there's an I that's not made. That's hmm? not an idea. It's not made in the mind. It's, and it's you. Hmm? There's a me and there's an I, so to speak. And the, the me is a, is a, is a, is a, is a, is a made-up me. I'm an American. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Finn. I'm, a, uh, I'm Polish. I'm Romanian, is it? Or... A Canadian, or as uh, may be the case, man or woman, and so on and so forth. So this is all a you know, per particular perception, and then we function accordingly. So, but this is an illusory sense of self, and 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 philosophically, from the point of view of Vedanta, we try to dissect that, and in sophisticated ways, people, a lot of people in the scientific community are dissecting that. We we, we kind of agree with them. Yeah, that's good. But who's doing the dissecting? Well, What's behind all that? There's a, there's a, there's a, there's an entity. There's there there's there's this experiential existence that without which who cares? <laughs> Why well, have the debate? You know, we could be invited to a debate over whether consciousness is independent of the mind or the brain. I mean, I, I don't know if I'd show up. Why should I debate with somebody whose position is that he's a, an automaton, and so am I, and there's no free will, and this is already figured out, and. and it it's really does take away the impetus to do anything. Hmm? People try to say, no, it doesn't, I'm pretty active and I believe in it. And, but uh, because it's, because you are actually other than what you think, that uh, you, you are insisting on meaning and value and so forth, even when your meaning and value is that there is no overarching meaning and value. You're very, uh, you know, uh, preoccupied with, with that because you're a unit of value. A unit of meaning, hmm? and, and, and that means a, a unit of experiential existence that is enduring, knowing, and has a loving capacity uh, for the purpose of loving. So, this preem, it, it, it's all about this, hmm? Hmm? and so this is this is the subject, and it's quite a quite a a, a, a mystery. Again. Even in an ordinary sense, love is quite mysterious, and you can't really, you know, how you will explain it. Hmm? How you have to experience it. How can you tell a child, you know, what it's like to be in love? That's that's impossible. I mean, you, you just got to get. 
Well, it's like all of a sudden you get hit on the head and uh, <laughs> and you see things differently. You see, you know, they depict it like that, perhaps in art or something more. You know, there are the stars and and uh, or Cupid's arrow splits the heart and everything changes and glasses become rosy and so on and so forth. So it, it, it's uh, it's mysterious. Of course, we can explain it hormonally, I suppose, in in in, in that way and whatnot. And but this is the material uh, kind of reflection, if you will, of of love of prem. So there is real love. It's worth pursuing. And Brahma was interested in it, and he asked Krishna about it. What is the nature of your your movement in the world from which you are appearing? I'm seeing you in a mysterious way through meditation. You've appeared before me. Hmm? I see you have entourage. You have others, and they have the, there. There's a sense of oneness between you and them. It's very interesting, hmm? kind of a loving oneness. He and I are one, something like. So you have interaction with them. What, what's the nature of that? He wanted to know. Hmm? So this is the subject of today's verse. But today's verse doesn't sound like much of an answer to that, hmm? in one sense. And so one of the reasons for that is because, because, as I say, love is a mystery. Prem is a, is a rahasyam. But it's a rahasyam in another way also. It's a rah- rahasyam means secret. It's a secret. It's, this, is, this is the private life of God. Hmm? If you were to know that there was a guy off the peninsula here, you know, so many miles out into the Pacific and had his own island over there. And, uh, you know, it's a little intriguing, like, what goes on there? You know, kind of a thing. Hmm. <coughs> what, what, what? So this uh, Krishna's world is sometimes called Sweta Dweep. Dweepa means island, white island. It means it's surrounded by an ocean of milk which is white. Hmm? But milk means affection. You get just go and go to the barn in the morning so she sees her calf and then hmm, she wants to let down the affection. So milk is the idea, so is representative of affection. So there's this island, if you will, surrounded by milk, by affection. You have to swim through affection. You have to... Waves of affection to get there. Hmm? We're separated by white, pure waves of affection and love. And what goes on there, that's a secret. Hmm? To all of us here who are on the land, and, uh, and it's, it's not white, <laughs> it's, it's pretty dark or spotted, and, uh, and uh, it, it's not moving hmm? like love moves. Hmm? This verse is about prem. Rupa Goswami describes prem in this way. He says that prem is, is principally a condensation of bhava, hmm? of, of spiritual emotion. And, and, and marginally, it's also um, a melting of the heart. Bhava is a softening of the heart. And prem is melting of the heart. So there's this, I'm melting, you know, but in a positive way. Hmm? If you know the story, <laughs> melting. And this is experience too. Just just a little little abbas shadow of this bhav will make you feel like I'm melting. Like the, the constructs of my mind are collapsing. 
And there's all so many possibilities. Hmm? And they're happy. Hmm? And that anything, anything I could do, there are no, there are no limitations. Hmm? And there's an extending of this feeling to seeing others in this way. We have to come to that. That's, this is a Bhag- that's the, the Bhagavatist description of brain. But Rupa Goswami says, a condensation of bhav, which is like a, he describes elsewhere as a ray of the sun of prema. When he describes prema, he says that bhava, if you could condense it many times over, then this is this is prema, hmm? and and it melts the heart. In bhava, it's softened. In prema, it's completely melted. Chaitanya Dev was for his own good. It was thought by his attendants, his own devotees, locked in a room, the Gambira. Gambira was, means, it means deep. He was locked in the deep. It's still there, that room in Jagannath Puri, a small stone room, maybe six by eight, eight by eight, something like that, with no windows. This was his place of, of domicile. They would put, it was in the last, the antya, Seishlila of Chaitanya Dev, the end pastimes where he went from in the middle of his pastimes, externally being involved in outreach and kirtan and so forth that caused him to go within, but he would come out, and then he went in and he was not coming out anymore. People couldn't get that close to him then. He had a couple of attendants. Hmm? They put him in a room. Hmm? They put a fellow in there with him named Shankar to be his pillow hmm? and to watch over him. But he would fall asleep. And they would find Chaitanya Mahaprabhu on the shore of the ocean hmm? in some contorted shape, bent out of shape, if you will, melting in frame. Hmm? And all they could conclude was somehow he went under the door. How could he get out? The door was locked. Shankar's asleep in there. Hmm? How could... He must have gone melted and gone under the door. And they experienced that that sometimes his 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 joints would extend, hmm? like his wrist would extend, and, and there would be like I don't know how to explain it, but uh, uh, it, it, and the perspiring of blood and uh, at times in the yatra, and uh, the teeth would come out and chatter and hair standing on end and so forth. Very disconcerting. Anything you want to be like that? Some people would say, I don't know. Prema Visha Jalahoi Bitare Anandamoi Krishna Premier Adbhutta Charita. Krishna Das says the, the Adbhutta Charita, the wonderful Adbhutta Charita character of Prema is that outside it looks like poison. It burns like fire. Baya Visha Jalahoi. But so we think, I don't know if I want to have anything to do with that. But Bitare Anandamoi. Hmm? Inside it is full of Anandam. Mahabhu would have this externally would look like one thing was happening and then he would come out from that and he would speak about it and what he would speak about hmm? there I saw the Krishna and the gopis and I was interacting this way and you chanted and woke me up and brought me out of that why did you why did he do this? so his inner experience was Krishna Lila Rasananda but outside in this world that's not a popular idea hmm? It's not easy to understand. It's a great mystery. To get there, you have to go in the opposite way that you've been going forever. Hmm? 
instead of being a taker and being the subject and matter is yours to use as you like, to be used by him as if you were as, it, as the way in which you use matter and give life and meaning to things. Hmm? That you will look up and see my meaning, my life, my values derived in relation to him, just like the eye cannot see how does that go? The mind hmm? unless mind minds it, as was the saying of Shudo Marsh, without without minding the uh, you, you, senses cannot see a thing really unless the mind is in, 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 involved. And you went to the room, you didn't see it because your mind was somewhere else, and so, 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 something like that. We, our value is in connection with Bhagawan. He's the, we're subject, matter's object, but he's the super subject. So when we look on that side, we are like matter in a sense. Hmm? to be used by him as he sees fit. And his purpose is beautiful. His purpose is charming. This is what the Leela, if we look carefully at it, says to us, oh, it's very charming, very endearing, very affectionate. Again, these examples are given. The island surrounded by milk, waves of affectionate, spotless, white, pure, hmm? no selfishness there. And so so bitare anandamo, inside is full of ananda, Bliss, joy, hmm? but outside it looks looks different. Hmm? You have to look very carefully at it. It said, "Mukti dadati karichit swanabhakti jogam." Krishna does not give bhakti, prem, even bhav, very easily. Mukti, he gives. Take it, and muktanam apisidhanam. Very rarely is mukti said to be achieved, but comparatively, it's said, oh, he just gives that out like water. Hmm? What, he doesn't want to give out a prem? This verse comes in Bhagavatam in the fifth canto. Parikshit Maharaj, the, the emperor, was listening to the mystic Sukadev, the sage, and he'd spoken about Krishna's different avatars and the different extents and so forth, and he started to think in his mind for a minute, gee, I'm not so fortunate. Hmm? I come in the in the in in the uh, the Kuru uh, dynasty, and Krishna did not appear in our dynasty. He appeared in the Ragu dynasty as Ram, as avatar, as Krishna appeared in the Yadu dynasty. Hmm? Uh, so I'm not as fortunate. Krishna didn't appear in my lineage, my family lineage, the Kurus, and. He had just told the story of, of Rishabdev, I believe, one of the uh, type of uh, avatar of, of, of Krishna. So the, he had this feeling, and in the, in the, in the, the all-knowing sage Sukadev could detect his, 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 his kind of despondency, and so he, he answered in this way, Oh, your family is very fortunate. Hmm? Yes, Krishna appeared in the in the in the, the Yadu dynasty, but in your family, where there is Arjun and Yudhisthira, he's the grandson of Prakshit Maharaj of Arjun. Hmm? Krishna became the the order carrier of of, of Arjun and Yudhisthira. He would come into the palace in 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 in, in a Hastinapur and pay respects to Yudhisthira. Hmm? He was the chariot driver of Arjuna. Hmm? 
He's, so he's saying to him, your family is more special because it's true that Krishna didn't take birth in your dynasty, but there's more bhakti in your dynasty. Hmm? And we find that in your dynasty, in your lineage, that Krishna became subordinate to members of your family. Hmm? So bhakti is more prominent. Bhakti is uh, is is there in the Kurus, but not to the extent, same extent. We find the intimacy between the Pandavas and Krishna certainly exceeds the ecstasy between Krishna and the Yadus in Dwaraka and so forth. Hmm? Hmm? So he says, oh, no, no, don't think that you're unfortunate. You're more fortunate than them. Hmm? See the measure, the extent to which bhakti appears in your family. Bhakti is superior to Krishna. Hmm? So if bhakti is more present there, then you're, you're, you have a... Arguably, your 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 family's better better off, hmm? and because he and he says, and you should know this, bhakti is very rare. He doesn't give it out very easily. Mukti he gives out. Oh, take it, take it, and get away from me. Leave me alone. Hmm? But bhakti that is very rare, and it's not that he doesn't want to give it, or that he's afraid he'll be controlled by it, which he is. No, he likes to be controlled by his devotees. Hmm? But he will not give it to anybody who has any other desire. Hmm? Therefore, as Maharaj is probably, I don't know if you've reached that point in explanation of Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, Bhakti is Sudurab, very rare. Hmm? You have to only do a certain kind of sadhana, hmm? that is this Uttam Bhakti sadhana, hmm? not any other kind of sadhana. And you have to go through certain stages of that before he'll kill. Give bhava. He want, he's not letting just anybody into that island, understandably. Hmm? If all kinds of people over here go, what's going on in that island? I want to know. Let's go over there. No, there, there's a moat, and <laughs> there are guards. Hmm? There are guards. Dharma, Artha, Kama, Moksha, they're all personified there. There's cities, Anima, Lagima, Prapti, all the cities of yoga are personified there, keeping people out. Not just anybody can come in. Come in. It's a protected zone. Who comes in, he lets in. Because if just anybody came, what would happen then? Well, the environment would be disturbed. Chaitanya Dev used to do kirtan at the house of Srivas Thakur into the wee hours. Deva Vandani. He'd come home crossing the Ganga, following the cowherd, people that were going ahead of him. He'd come to the, his home. He'd worship the deity, hmm? Deva Bandhani, uh, and then he'd prepare himself. Pradoshe Shivas, Mandire Pradoshe, say Mandire Pravesha, Adika he would go to the house of Srivas, taking his devotees with him. They would enter there and do kirtan. And then he would show them who I am Krishna, you are so-and-so, my lila. It's rasa kirtan they had. And not just anybody could get in. Hmm? Not just anybody. He found one day, I'm not getting any rasa from the kirtan. There must be somebody in here who's not an intimate, who's not is interfering with the experience. 
No, no, Shiva said, there's nobody. We're only letting in those who you give permission. He said, no, there's something wrong. Look, look around. So he looked everywhere, and in the closet he found, oh, he, he, what did he find? His mother-in-law or something? Grandmother or somebody? Hiding in there. What are you doing in here? Huh? I wanted to hide in here and have the experience. You cannot get the experience like that. Hmm? Threw her out. Threw her out. Hmm? Then he, he said something like, if anybody, family member comes in here and disturbs this kirtan, I disown them. Hmm? You show his, his affection for Mahaprabhu. I want to please Chaitanya Dev. And then he, my, my wife, my family, whoever it is, whatever it is, however close they are to me otherwise, let them all die. Hmm? If it will... If it will increase the kirtan of Mahaprabhu, let them die. Mahaprabhu looked at him, wow, you're into this, aren't you? <laughs> Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said, you, you really feel this, don't you? Hmm? This, this, kind of, this kind of, this is called the other aspect of Premamata, minus, Rupa Goswami is described, I belong here, this the Krishna is, 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 is mine, and uh, he and I are one, and Anything that disturbs him, that disturbs me. Let my whole family die if they, if they disturb the kirtan. This is this is very extraordinary thinking. It's shocking to us. This is again. I don't know if I'm ready for that. I don't know if I. Doesn't sound good. Mm. This is madness. But this is. But it's so driven by such ananda. Mm. And of course, it it includes within it a, a broader sense of caring for all people and all beings and so forth than in the limited sense that we can care for them when we see them as ours, when nothing is ours. When we could, when Krishna could be ours, we would have everything. This is Mamata, this is Prem. Hmm? So not anybody could just, anybody could get in. Hmm? The beauty of Gorlil, of course, is that some pious people who didn't feel themselves qualified to get in and didn't dare go to try to break down the doors, nonetheless sat on the bank of the Ganges and wished they could go in. And for them he came out. And performed his kirtan, hmm? and informed what goes on inside my kirtan through so many instructions and example and so forth, that people could learn the way to enter into Svetadweep, hmm? Navadweep, that pure island of kirtan of Shiva Sangam. It's non-different from Vrindavan, the Gupta Vrindavan. These are all secrets. You cannot tell it to anybody and everybody. Hmm? They won't appreciate. They won't understand. Hmm? This is madness. Hmm. So it is a rasyam, prem. So it is spoken about here in a little bit of a secret way. Also it's said that there were th- three questions of Brahma answered in four verses. Hmm. Meant to confuse people. <laughs> it said, it, another point, and it also that, hmm. well, it said, Nasta prayeshu abadreshu nityam bhagavata sevaya bhagavati uttama shloki bhakti bhavati nashtiki. You should study the Bhagavatam very carefully, regularly. Nityam bhagavata sevaya. You should always serve the Bhagavatam, the person Bhagavatam, the book Bhagavatam. You have to pay very close attention to this, otherwise, you'll miss what's going on there. Hmm? you miss what's going on there. We wrote an article about Varnashram recently. There's four, five, six chapters about Varnashram in the Bhagavatam, in the in the seventh canto. Hmm? Great detail. 
will think, how can you say the Bhagavatam is not about Varnashram? We'll read the chapters. It says, in this Varna they do this, in this Ashram they do that, and the women should act like this, the men should act like this, and and, 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 and all this is for people who don't have faith in Bhakti. One verse put in there like that. That's what the whole chapter is about, the whole four or five chapters are about. And if you don't have sufficient faith in Bhakti, then you can do all that stuff. Otherwise, yeah, just dispense with that. You asked about Varnashram, I believe it was you just here. I've told you. Hmm? Now, I think it's Nard speaking, something like that. So, <laughs> so you have to pay close attention. You just open the book and quote, you know, this is what Bhagavatam is, Harani Kasipu is speaking, <laughs> the big demon, you know. Is that the Siddhanta? You know, it says, some Agasura says something, and we, you know, no, wait, what's the context? You know, some, so, and to pay close attention, study the Bhagavatam. Look at it, how the, the nature of the... It, <laughs> there, there, for example, in that section it says, women should act like this, they shouldn't do this, one part of it, men should do this, but let's say the women should, shouldn't act like this, women like this, all of our nashram. Is this what the Bhagavatam is about? No, the Bhagavatam is about women acting like the gopis. Hmm? They're our ideal. And they violated the Dharma entirely. Just stepped on the head of that to go and meet with Krishna and so forth. <laughs> Ladies should be like that. That's the teaching of the Bhagavatam. Hmm? Yeah, so, so you have to pay very close, uh, close attention. Hmm? So three questions are asked, four answers. It's a little confu- it's confusing. They say for a reason. So you have to pay close attention. It seems to say one thing here that does. How is that about Prem? I'm not sure. But then again. If you were paying attention, you know that Brahma asked about Prem. And it was the third question he asked. And Krishna answered, answered the first question and the second question in the first two verses. So he has to answer the third question. If you look at the fourth verse, it's not answered there. So there's only one place that it can be. It must be here. So it must be about Prem. Hmm. And it's the third question and it just happens that the fourth question is answered in the fourth verse. So, how is it about praying then? We have to look at that. Hmm? This is the way in which it will be thought that the it is thought that the author of the Bhagavatam who composed and so forth wanted to say everything, hmm? but in such a way that unless people were eligible, they couldn't understand it, unless they. For example, excuse me, approached through a proper guru, they wouldn't they wouldn't get it. Mm-hmm. It's not an academic exercise. Just people say, "Hey, what's the need of gurus anyway?" You know, it used to be in previous times. Well, they you know only the gurus had the books because there weren't any printing presses, so a few gurus had the books. You had to go to them to get. Now we got a digital internet. Everything's there. You know, just get it there. Uh, just get the information and decide for yourself. Why do you need a guru? But this is. A, this is how we acquire ordinary knowledge, no doubt. <laughs> At the same time, even while doing so, gurus are useful for ordinary knowledge. Hmm? I mean, to use the term loosely, they're very helpful. Hmm? I'm very much in favor of the guru. I'd be, like you get some computer or something that's got all these instructions. I hate those manuals. I, I just cannot read like one sentence in one of those manuals. I just I asked... You know, Nitai, how does this work? You know, can you set this up? You know, and then they show me, and very easy, <laughs> very easy. Uh, of course, they do it according to the book, and they you know, they follow the book, and 
and so on. It's good to know the book, too. Mm. But we'd rather have the guru than the book if we had to have, to, had to, had to have our choice. Something like that. The book is a passive agent of divinity. The guru is an active agent of divinity who personifies the teaching of the book and, and exemplifies it for us and, and so forth and enables us to understand it. So it's, it's a different kind of knowledge. This is a, as we said, this is the knowledge of Prem, of Bhakti. It's a very different kind of knowledge than ordinary knowledge. Ordinary knowledge we collect and put in our files to en- enhance our own sense of self and pull it out when it's convenient. I know this and a conversation and I know that and, and so on and so forth. This is a different kind of knowledge. It's not a knowledge that we can put on our agenda, but we find, oh, it has an agenda of its own and I'm on its agenda. This is very different. Hmm? This is not a university uh, education. So there's a system for that. Hmm? So the book has to be approached through the proper system. Otherwise, how will you understand this? This kind of... You say, oh, it looks like he forgot to answer that question about Rahasyam. Hmm? How would you even... I mean, even that, that you would even know that <laughs> those four words are being... Anyway, so it, it, this is... Sadhu Sangha is, is, is the way. Hmm? And through that good association, we find Prem in this verse where it's supposed to be. So, what does it say? Again, it says that um, you've got to unlock the secret here with the password. Hmm. He gives, he, he speaks about Prem by way of giving an example. Hmm. He says that there are the material elements as they're described, earth, water, fire, air, you know, solidity, uh, liquidity, heat, movement, air, and so forth, akash, space. This is a, an ancient way of speaking about the elemental constituents of material existence. And certainly these are elements of material existence. So uh, these elements are uh, within, for example, us, and they're outside of us. Hmm? Our sense of self centered around the body and mind is constituted of, of, of these things. And then the, there are kind of like a reservoir of those things. Just like, for example, there's solidity and then there's a rock. So the, the earth element, if you will, is in the rock and it's outside the rock. Hmm? Solidity exists independently of the rock and the rock is a kind of a localized um, microcosmic example of solidity. Mm -hmm. So he says, in the same way that the elements are pervasive and they're they're outside of everything and inside of everything, so also I'm inside of everything, I'm outside of everything. How is this praying? Well, if we go further in the Bhagavatam, besides Rupa Goswami's definition of Prem that I've given, the Bhagavatam gives an example of the experience of Prem in terms of a vision in this world. That's not how Rupa Goswami describes it in the Bhagavatam. He says it's a, it's a condensation of bhava, it's a sense that Krishna is mine, and a melting of the heart. Of course, he has a whole chapter on it, he develops it. But the Bhagavatam speaks about Prem in terms of the experience of a devotee who has attained Prem in this world. 
Hmm? And it's, it doesn't speak about a knowing, theoretically, but an experience. Hmm? It says there that, uh, what is that verse? Esha Bhagavat Uttama. Who is the Uttam Bhagavat? He or she is um, Bhagavat Bhavamatmanaha. Bhagavati Sarvabhuteshu Ya Pashed. Bhagavat Bhavamatmanaha. Sarvabhuteshu Ya Pashed. There's two ways to understand this. Hmm? One is that that devotee sees just what's described here. Krishna in a, is in everything and everything's inside of Krishna. Again, the world is a, is a person. Hmm? Everything's inside of Krishna. That's that universal uh, Krishna. Mother Yasoda looked inside Krishna's mouth and saw the, the universe inside. Hmm? Arjuna saw everything inside of Krishna hmm? in mystic vision. And Arjuna saw Krishna in front of him also. Hmm? He, 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 he felt him within. We can only see him outside as much as he's within. This is Prem. Prem is, he comes in, this Prem, and then it, 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 it rides on the mind and the senses. Hmm? Just like if you were to take an iron rod, sometimes the example is given, and stick it in the fire. Now if you pull that out and I touch you with it, you say, why did you touch me with that iron rod? You say, you burnt me. Hmm? That's another way of saying, you touched me with fire. Hmm? It's an iron rod that's, rod that's become fireized, so to speak. So bhava comes in and it, and as it turns into prem, hmm, it takes over the mind. Hmm? There's a saying in yoga, yoga sutras, chitta vritti niroda. The goal of yoga is to remove the chitta, the vrittis from the chitta. Chitta is like this internal organ that the, that the atma experiences the 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 the, the 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 objective world through. It's like a mirror. So if you focus it over here, then a certain reflection comes on that mirror. And you live in that reflection. Reflect. We're we're living in reflected kind of experiences of what the world's like, not what it's really like. Hmm? Therefore, you think it's hot, and I think it's cold. <laughs> so this is the. Therefore, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu says by Sankirtan, this Chitta. Hmm, chaita is another name for Chait. Another way of saying Chaita Darpana Marjanam. He says that this Chaita is like a like a mirror that needs to be marginum cleansed. So in Yoga Sutra it said, Chitta Vritti Nirodha, to remove the chitta, the vrittis from the chitta. These vrittis are all these like experiences of the world, reflections of the world, and I'm moving accordingly to them and so on and so forth. But the difference between yoga, in a classical sense, in the sutras, and the yoga of bhakti is that the removing of of the the cleansing of the vrittis from the mind is only the initial stage of bhakti. And the bhava and prema constitutes the arising of a bhakti vritti. Hmm? It's another wave. Hmm? But the wave of bhakti, not these waves of the world that are like not concentric. Hmm? Like if you were to arrive at a pond, a placid pond, and throw many stones in it, uh, 
some kids came disturbed by meditative experience. But if you just threw one in and another in all in the same place, the ripples all go out. And, oh, that's another kind of... It's peaceful in a different way. And it makes me want to... It's peaceful, but it makes me want to move. Mm-hmm. But move in a peaceful way, <laughs> in a harmonious way, not in a, in a, with a necessity of uh, forced and and uh, as we normally move, being pulled here and there and here and there at the same time and so on and so forth. Hmm? So, bhakti is a, it constitutes a, a, a wave. It's coming on them and taking over the mind, hmm? and so movement continues. As the sadaka deha hmm, is is developed and per- perfected through chanting and hearing and so forth, this prey uh, bhav and prey manifest and 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 the and while the karma is extinguished, the movement is still continuing. And it, it, this is daivi prakriti mashrita. A devotee moves, such a devotee moves in the world with a very different purpose. Looks similar, but has different motivation. And, and and feeling behind the, his or her movements, moved by the prem. We say sometimes, bhakti does you, hmm? rather than you doing bhakti. Sadhana bhakti is kind of like, I do bhakti. Baba bhakti is like, bhakti does you. Hmm? Baba bhakti, sadhana bhakti is kind of like, I will imitate bhakti. Hmm? Hmm? I will do that with my senses. I will hear and chant and go through these motions and so forth. It's considered bhakti. Hmm? An anga, a limb of brain bhakti, sadhana bhakti, because the hearing and chanting comes to you and and so forth. But when we come to bhava bhakti, we realize, I'm not doing bhakti. Bhakti is doing me. Bhakti is a tattva. Bhakti is a shakti. The essence of Krishna's surup shakti. It's coming. It's it's, uh, like a wave taking over me. Moving me in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a very different direction with a different motive and so forth, and and it it causes a different, very different vision of the world. Hmm? Not only does he he or she see Krishna and everything, everything in Krishna. And that doesn't mean he sees Krishna at every moment. Mishvanachakritakwar says, but he sees everything in relation to Krishna. Hmm? And another way to understand it is he sees everybody else as if they love Krishna. Hmm? They must... You have love. You love Krishna. That's why you're here. I'm glad to have your association. He thinks like that. Gopis are a good example. They, Krishna left the Rasa dance. They went looking for him. They saw some trees that were bent down in the wind and they thought... Oh, Krishna's come by here, and you paid your obeisances. Then you were bending down to give your fruits to him. Hmm? What have we done in comparison? He left us. Hmm? Then they saw his footprints, and they thought, "Oh, here are his footprints." And just see how the earth must love him better than us, because wherever he moves, he always stays with her. But he's left us. Hmm? So the feeling, the experience of Prem is that everybody loves Krishna except for me. <laughs> and the experience of the neophyte devotee is nobody loves Krishna except for me. <laughs> In the worst case scenario, I love Krishna. Why don't these other people love Krishna? <laughs> so, 
So but in the higher sense, this Atmavanmanitaja God is a saying that's sometimes invoked by our acharyas. The mind, one sees others to be like oneself. So in praying, as it approaches, one starts to you speak. He or she may seem to speak very generously about other people. That people, that what you may think, I'm nothing. Why he says that about me? Hmm? Uh, he sees. Oh, you must have that. You're coming to the Arctic. You must be in ecstasy. Why would you be here? Hmm? I see you with the cartels. I see you raised your hands. It's <laughs> something like this. So there's this, this kind of this, this uh, innocence of uh, of this and uh, and uh, this this. This prem is, 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 acts in such a way that that devotee posits, for example, let's let's take the the, the, the land of Krishna, Vrindavan. They go there, they see a, a marking in the stone, they say, that, that's Krishna's footprint. I see Krishna's footprint there. You look at it and you go, yeah, I guess it could be a footprint. It's some old, you know, that they keep in the temple. Maybe, it, I guess, it's kind of, you know, it could be a footprint, yeah. But what we honor is he saw that. Hmm? His bhava. Hmm? This is where Krishna is, in that bhava, in that prem. This is where he's found. Hmm? <laughs> like I said, uh, Sukadev told the sage, you worry that Krishna's in their dynasty. You've got bhakti in your dynasty. That, that's where Krishna is. <laughs> He may appear to be somewhere else, but where he really is is wherever there's bhakti. And look at the measure of bhakti in your your lineage and so forth. So, in this way, the verse speaks about the vision of prem hmm? that uh, that Krishna's come within me. He's taken over my mind and my senses, and because of that, I see him outside of me. Hmm? Hmm? And I experience him through my senses, but only because he's come within, come within and taken them over. And he's in me, he's outside. He sees in the heart, Shamsundar, Krishna. Hmm? And outside he sees everything reminding him of Krishna. He sees the movements of other people, teaching him about love of Krishna, Prem. Hmm? So in this way, if we look carefully at the verse, we see it's a nice uh, uh, analogy he's given in relation to the material elements and how his his devotees experience him in the optimum hmm, in a similar way. This way, we've heard something from Krishna, some secrets about Prem. Any question? Tomorrow we have another class in the morning, 10 o'clock. Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur's Disappearance Day, New Year's Day. Happy New Year. Good day to, good to celebrate uh, the New Year, make a resolution. And so 10 o'clock we'll have a discussion here. We'll give uh, initiation uh, also. Harinam initiation, we'll talk about that and so forth. There'll be fasting in the morning. So eat something tonight if you like. That's the way. To <laughs> anyway, and then some uh, some 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 feast. Cut some banana leaves. We'll eat on banana leaves tomorrow, as traditionally is done. And again, this way we'll start the new year. So we've stopped. That we've gone for a long time.
श्री श्री दाव जी गोपाल की जाय मारुवान की जाय श्री भक्ति वेदांत स्वामी प्रभुपात की जाय भक्ति रक्षक श्रीधर देव गोस्वामी महाराज की जाय श्री भक्ति सिद्धांत सरस्वती ठाकुर प्रभुपात की जाय भक्ति विनोद परिवार की जाय गोर भक्त वृंद की जाय ओ प्रेमानंदी ओ